This is episode number 19 of Ships with founder and CEO of Business Improv, Bob Colham. Welcome to Ships. My name is Pat McAndrew, and I am a professional actor, speaker, and coach. In every episode, we discuss a message related to the most important vessels in our lives. Thanks for being here today. Now let's set sail. Welcome to the Ships Podcast. So thankful for all of you to be here because today you are in for a great episode. Today's guest is Bob Colhan, who is an adjunct professor of business administration for the Fuqua School of Business at Duke University, as well as an adjunct professor of business for Columbia Business School at Columbia University. He is the founder and CEO of Business Improv. Based out of Chicago, Los Angeles, and New York City, Business Improv is a world-class leader in developing experiential learning programs for businesses. For 25 years, Bob has performed and taught improvisation internationally. His teaching and performing credits include Chicago's famed Second City, Improv Olympic, Columbia College, London Theatre Sports, the Bant Center, the Australian Graduate School of Management, the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, UCLA Anderson School of Management, Columbia University Business School, and Duke University's Fuqua School of Business. His consulting and teaching work in leadership and managerial improvisation includes emphasis on team skills, fostering a collaborative corporate culture, whole body listening, busting blocks to creativity, conflict management, dyadic relationships, creative and adaptive problem solving, leadership, influence, and fostering creative cultures. Since 1998, his customized business improvisations programs have served a large international roster of blue chip firms such as Google, PepsiCo, American Express, Capital One, Ford Motor Company, and several others. Bob has had the fortune of performing improvisation and facilitating business improv workshops in the United States, England, Scotland, Germany, Singapore, Australia, Turkey, Dubai, Mumbai, and Banff, Canada, where he participated as a faculty member and master artist in both the Creativity Forum on Creative Leadership and the Thought Leadership Forum on Ethical Governance and Creating a Climate of Corporate Integrity. Lastly, Bob is the author of Getting to Yes and by Stanford University Press, which was published in January of 2017. So you are in for a great episode, especially if you're looking for new and creative, innovative ways to implement new strategies into your business or into your life. We talk a lot in this podcast about the importance of collaboration, whether that be in business or in your daily lives and the regular relationships you may have with friends and family. Bob also talks about his journey in starting in the 
business world, then going to the improv world, and then the discovery to combine the two together. He also talks about how the applied improv industry has changed over the past 20 years and that today it's needed perhaps more than ever. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. Feel free to share it with your friends if you think this message will really resonate with them. And please also let me know what you think. So without further ado, let me introduce... Bob Cohen. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Ships Podcast. Today's guest is Bob Colhan. Bob, thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad to talk with you. Yeah, I'm very excited. We had gotten connected. I, I guess maybe it was a little over a year ago. I was very inspired by the the work that you're doing with uh, business improv, and uh, definitely wanted to reach out. And uh, since then, we've talked a couple times. We we've met up, and uh, you're doing really amazing work with with uh, using improv in the corporate world. Hey, well, thanks. I appreciate that. It's certainly a passion of mine, and uh, I love doing it, and love talking to people about it. Well, I'm excited to to dive into the conversation. I think our listeners are really going to enjoy this episode. Let's do it, Pat. <laughs> so I'm wondering if you could just start off by telling us a little bit about your background. Maybe where are you from and what led you on to the path that you're pursuing today? Sure. I am a Chicago trained improviser. Though I started in the summer of 1991 at the Players Workshop of the Second City, uh, and there's where I met the person who would become my mentor, Martin DeMott. Uh, It took about two plus years to go through that program as I was bouncing in between colleges and moving from downstate Illinois to central Illinois to Chicago. Then I picked up improv consistently in December of 1994 and have been doing it since then. Uh, My undergrad degree is in business, so I've got some understanding of the world of business and then spent about four or five years in the world of business before diving completely into improvisation. I was submerged in improvisation from 94 to 99, trying not to be in business. And then in the fall of 1999, I, in a very serendipitous moment of life, was provided the opportunity to co-create the first business program in any business school in the world that focused solely on improvisation. Wow. And I got to marry two loves of my life, business and improv, and now cut to 20 years later, here we are. That's amazing. And so did that first opportunity, did that like happen by chance or had you been thinking about like, oh, this improv stuff that I'm doing would work really well in the business world? So when I was a businessman, I was fortunate in so much that I was really given free reigns by my boss. It was a very small organization. It was a computer-based training organization that used multimedia elements in the early 1990s to train United Airlines flight attendants on seatback videos. And the person who founded the company didn't have a marketing budget. He just said, go run. And I did. And I was doing guerrilla marketing and was very successful getting publicity and lots of ink for us. And he won a Bank of America award for creative marketing at that time. And I was being headhunted then from that point forward by major players in business. 
And this is about 1994, where instead of moving into advertising or publicity or public relations, I dropped out of business altogether and solely started focusing on improvisation. I had enough savings that I could live. I bought a condo directly to the Wrigley Field, so I had a, a stable place to live. And now I'm just studying improvisation. Cut to five years later, 1999, I am broke as a joke. In the mid-90s, I proved without a shadow of a doubt there was no such thing as a professional improviser. This was before Whose Lines in Any Way was really popular in America anyway. There was no way to make money uh, and really support yourself. And I was trying. I was coaching a lot of teams. I was teaching at Columbia College in Chicago. I was teaching at Improv Olympic or IO as it's called now. I was teaching at the Second City, all these great houses. And I was in a lot of their corporate arms too. And... While I was in the courtrooms teaching improvisation, what we would do is teach, and then afterwards, over and over again, I kept hearing from the participants, this is great. It was a lot of fun. I can't use any of this. So now I have to go back to work and make up for the four hours that I just missed to come and do this thing that has no purpose. Oh, wow. And that made me feel horrible. It made me feel like a snake oil salesman, just a charlatan. And... So I'm broke. I need to make money. I'm barely able to pay my mortgage, which at that time wasn't much. It was very little money. I still couldn't do it. Piecemealing uh, the, the coaching and teaching jobs I was doing and the corporate work I was doing. I was also a nanny. I was hauling sheetrock. I was doing everything possible not to get back into business for a full-time job. And at this time where I'm broke, I'm feeling horrible about what I'm doing in the corporate world with improvisation. I just uh, met somebody who said the Duke University Fuqua School of Business, he was a professor at Fuqua who is now teaching on sabbatical at University of Chicago in their business school before it was known as the Booth School of Business. It was just University of Chicago Business School. And he said, I got an email yesterday from the dean at Duke Fuqua saying, we're looking for some experiential learning for second year of orientation. So this really was right place, right time, for not only meeting this individual, it was right time in my life because I was at a very pivotal moment of not knowing what I'm gonna to do to support myself, thinking about maybe getting into uh, a more full-time type of job to make sure I can keep this one single investment I had, the condo, and put food on the table. And so all the timing kind of came together at this moment. And where I said, okay, because I, as a businessman, was successful. So I knew what I was doing, at least in some capacity in that world. As an improviser, I had already co-founded some significant groups like Baby Wants Candy and, and started late night shows like The Jam, things that are still popular these days. And so I was confident in the, the improv world. I just never had the opportunity to own a program from soup to nuts and put it together in such a way that represents my belief. And I can stand behind and say, this is going to help you ultimately. Because we all know it does. At that time, though, we were just saying, it does. Trust us. And people weren't trusting us. So that timing was pivotal. And it's, it's, you know, it's proof of improv, too, that everything just takes place in moments. So it's a matter of us recognizing the moment and taking advantage of it, whether it's on stage or in life. Right, right. It's it's really amazing how these two worlds collided where you had this business life and then you had this improv life and then 
and by chance in a lot of ways, this opportunity came to really combine the two. And so when you then went on to start uh, business improvisations, what was those early stages like in trying to figure out, okay, how do I bring improvisation to the corporate world? Well, I was bringing it to academia first. So I was bringing it to the corporate world through the MBA programs, uh, and most specifically through the one MBA program, the Duke University Fuqua School of Business. And the first half a decade to almost full decades, you know, eight-ish years or so, it was pretty rough. It was very rough, as a matter of fact. Uh, because improvisation at that time was still an unknown. So if you go back in the early 2000s, 1999, late 90s, early 2000s, improvisation was not nearly as popular as it is now. Right? It's, it's not in most universities. It's not in the theater programs at universities, let alone anywhere else at the university. It's definitely not in high schools like it is now. It was just a small handful. and. Even in Chicago in the late 90s, the, the popularity of it was really, I would say it was like the toddler stage of improv for Chicago improv. It wasn't the infancy stage anymore. It's, it's now a lot of people are paying attention to it. We have audiences that we're playing for. It wasn't like when we, in the mid 90s, we were just kind of playing for each other at the bartender. You know, it's, it's gained that popularity. However, Hollywood was not accepting it in the early 90s. It was not only unproven, it was thought to be just a means to an end to develop a script, to develop a character, to do something on the side, and then you workshop and then put it in front of the camera. There was no way to market it. There was no way to make money on it. And it wasn't until that bridge where Whose Line Is It Anyway from Europe to America became more popular with Drew Carey, et cetera. And also, it needed additional support. It needed shows like Curb Your Enthusiasm to say, oh, we can do this. Look at how successful this show is. So Hollywood itself, went from saying, if you have improv on your resume, you're too risky, you're too volatile, you're too much of the unknown. We already have a Robin Williams and, and Jim Carrey out there. We don't need any cartoonish type of people. So improv is not valuable. To then saying improv is actually, could be very valuable rather, and then very quickly it turned into, if it's not on your resume as an actor, you're not as good as anybody else. So once Hollywood embraced it in the mid-ish 2000s, the ripple effects started taking place. And then as life imitates art, business started saying, well, what's the new trends? Let's look at how adaptable improvisers are and how flexible they are. However, you're now talking around 2008, 2010, that Hollywood's embraced it and it's moved past Hollywood into the real world. So for that first half a dozen years or so, I was getting beat up by other professors because I turned into an adjunct, not because I have an advanced degree or have written a thesis or have any letters after my last name. It's just because my skill set is unique and they saw value in that. I was getting beat up by business people who were pushing back on a 27-year-old who was essentially help helping pioneer a specific field, like an improvisation of business. So there was ageism involved. I was being beat up across the board. And now, of course, it's different. Improvisation is ubiquitous, right? It's everybody knows it, everybody has it, everybody wants it, everybody's doing it. The first decade, I was a little tricky. 
Yeah, I'm sure it's amazing having been really in business since 1999 to kind of see the evolution of improvisation in our culture over the past 20 years. And like you were saying, those first 10 years, it was a really tough sell. And do you think it was just that people didn't quite understand what it was? Yes. And I, th I think there's still a misunderstanding of what improvisation is. Because improvisation as an art form is one thing. It's comedic, it's spontaneous, it could be dramatic. You know, it's improvisational theater is a new, relatively new term. Uh, so most people, though, associate improvisation with the art of improvisation, whether it's drama or comedy, live performance in some capacity, as opposed to understanding that that's an outcome to improvisation. That is a very specific type of improvisation. And yes, absolutely, there is the art of improvisation. I love the art of improvisation. It is its own thing. And ultimately, you know, special forces improvise all the time. It's part of the marine mantra. Uh, it's chef cooking competitions improvise. Sports teams improvise. So now there's a greater understanding that really what we're talking about is a skill set as it's related to improvisation and not the outcome, which is the art. And that... I think the public has a greater understanding of that, and there still needs to be an education. And why do you think the skill sets of improvisation are so important within the corporate world? Well, all right. I'll break it down by talking about how we in business improv have defined improvisation. And that's really focusing on three core competencies. So in business improv, we define improv on three competencies, reacting, adapting, communicating. Reacting, adapting, communicating. And if you really start thinking about reacting, adapting, communicating, with reacting being ongoing, not a reaction, that's a one-off. It's an ongoing process to react and go reacting. And adapting is within like a strategy or parameters. And communicating is something we have to do all the time. Then where does it, this skill set apply? Gotcha. Yeah. So it, it's really amazing because really when you break it down into those three really aspects of reacting, adapting, communicating, there's almost like a simplicity to it that like, do you ever run into the situation where people have trouble with the, the almost the essence or the simplicity of it? Do you think that they kind of get stuck in their heads a lot of times? Cause I think that's obviously a big part of improvisation is getting out of your head. And do you find that that's a challenge for many people that you work with? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's a challenge really twofold. You have people who are uh, right side of the brain, analytical thinkers, data driven scientists, engineers, you know, it's people who are just more um, solution oriented. They're just, they consider themselves not to be, uh, outgoing, not to be gregarious, not to be extroverted. They're, they're, by nature, many of them are introverted. And that's a safe place for a lot of people, too. So that's one area that it's just hard to get people just to relax, to talk to each other. Even though all these types of people have to talk to each other all the time, it's just not something they feel like they're comfortable with. So they end up falling into a safe zone. So that's one area that it becomes challenging. The other one, though, is with people who think that they're already very good at that. Those three competencies. Right? <laughs> and you have to kind of 
put them in position to understand that no matter how good you are at this, you could be better at it. And I'll go first person, not only toward myself, uh, toward the people with whom I have the you know fortune of playing over the last twenty five years. Without you know performing in proper consistent twenty five years, Chicago the first fifteen, New York the last, where the New York Focus the last ten years as I'm about here now, and every single person who I would consider to be elite, not only that I, I watch the people with whom I have the fortune of playing, never stop practicing. Everybody does the same thing. They're always up on stage. They're always practicing because they know that once they stop doing this, like a muscle, their brain is going to atrophy as it relates to improvisation. Their skill set is going to diminish. And if you want to be elite, you have to continue to practice being elite. And that's something that people who feel like they're good at this don't understand, that you could be better. And your, your confidence is a hubris, ultimately, and you have to temper that to just be humble enough to learn this, to prove that you're better than everybody else at this, the competencies or improvisation as a whole. Right, absolutely. Yeah, that's it's such a true thing is that I, I feel like a lot of us sometimes think like, oh, we, we learned this or, or we took this class or we took a few classes. I know what I'm talking about, but you're absolutely right. Is that it's this muscle that, especially with improvisation, but almost any skill set that we have to continue to exercise on a regular basis. And when it comes to that and specifically creating a corporate culture, that's something that I find is really big nowadays. Uh, how important would you say is creating a creative corporate culture and how can business improvisations help with that? Well, the corporate culture these days is shifting. It's leadership has shifted over the last couple of decades from more of a top down approach or even hierarchical, uh, somebody would say tyrannical director approach that you tyrant, not necessarily <laughs> meaning the most gross definition of the, the word tyrant, just meaning that there's a boss and everybody follows what she or he says uh, to the letter. So they say do this and you go to that. And that's changing. Strategy itself used to be like a game of chess that you could plan the moves in advance. It's very methodical. You could see what your competition is doing and adjust accordingly. And that's changed significantly. And the team itself, the culture itself, has changed over the last several decades uh, in so much that um, you can look at what people are wearing. A couple of decades ago, you show up to a business environment in a suit and a tie. Regardless of really what your function is, you wear, you're, you're dressed up. Now, if you go back, I'll go reverse order. Now people, it went from a suit and a tie to uh, now you, you can wear a dress shirt and a jacket and and potentially nice jeans and dress shoes. And now you don't need the jacket, so it's just jeans and dress shoes and a nice shirt. And that moved from the kick away the dress shoes. Now you're wearing sneakers and jeans and a nice dress shirt. And now you're wearing a t-shirt and jeans and, and sneakers. And now you're wearing shorts and flip-flops and hoodies and you're a billionaire. And who's gonna tell you you can't wear that? So the whole culture has changed. Uh, strategy is no longer a game of chess. It's like a video game while playing a game of chess, while texting with somebody while somebody else is tapping you on the shoulder, whispering in your ear. 
That's changed altogether. The culture itself went from being structured to open and went from being boxed off and siloed to ping pong tables. And now we want like like uh, casinos. You want to keep people at work. So there's restaurants and there's games to play and nobody has clocks and the temperature is set perfectly and there's perfume in the air that makes you want to be there. And intrinsic motivation now is part of the culture as a whole that you're trying to find people who want to contribute and want to be part of the growth of the organization and find value in doing that and feel valuable in doing that as well and in doing so the way that we have to lead them has changed so everything has changed from top to bottom and this is where improvisation thrives it's not only in that it creates these environments in which it's very collaborative and very open and communicative it's also change oriented we thrive in the unknown we thrive in figuring out what's next we thrive in uh, pushing the envelope and all of this is what business improv we teach people how to create these environments, how to bring these leaders, how to foster time, how to be agents of change, and how to ultimately be communicative, creative, collaborative, adaptable, etc. Wow, yeah. it's. I'm sure it's been incredible to notice that change over time. And as, as a great improviser, learning how to adapt to these changes and I guess has your the way that you've gone about teaching business improvisations has that changed drastically throughout the twenty years, or is it still pretty much the same with some minor tweaks here and there? Uh, it's changed significantly. <laughs> um, I'll go to uh, the, the one time we got fired from a job, and this was uh, I think two thousand and one. It was our first first uh, executive job at Duke. It was a four-day long program. We were teaching three hours a day, four days in a row. The first day, and it was senior leadership. Um, I'm 27 years old. The first day is all about postponing judgment. Postpone judgment, postpone judgment, postpone judgment. At the end of the afternoon, the first day, because all we have is that afternoon block, the class mutinies, they talk to their, the leader, the professor of the program, they push it up to the dean, and we get fired. Wow. Me and my, my partner teaching at that time. And the dean says, look, I see what you're doing. I see value in what you're doing. You have to prove it, though. So you're fired from this program. I'm not going to cut your pay, and I'm not going to release you. I want you to stay on campus, and I'll pay you in full, and I want you to gut the program and put it back together again in a way that makes sense to this audience. And so really taking huge pills of pride and swallowing them down and figuring out how to have self-respect while walking past people who just fired you and you know not being able to make eye contact for four days in a row because I was staying in the hotels with them. I had to pass by the classroom to go meet this professor with whom I was collaborating. So I had to I went from having my head down about as low as a, a person can have his or her head down to by the end of day four, walking with my head up saying, all right, I, I figured out what to do. And in that four day period of time, we essentially created the company business improv. We created the brand business improv, the language that we use, the positioning of this, the further research in, in the behavioral sciences. So for 20 years, we, we tiptoed upon it in 99 and 2000. And then in 2001, dove 
deeply into academia, go deeply into behavioral psychology, cognitive psychology, social psychology, behavioral economics, org theory. All of these now are 20 years part of our DNA. And so in that period of time, I would say the first you know year was that resuscitation. <laughs> you put the paddles on, <laughs> hit it, and from that point forward, it's, it's continued to evolve. So from 1999 and 2000 to where it is now, in 2019, they're, they're foundationally the same and structurally very different. And when I say foundationally the same, I taught, I would put together improv programs that would teach in the corporate world and teach them to the classes in the in pure improv for people who just want to be actors, who just wanted to be on Saturday Live, sketch comedians. I would teach them those exercises verbatim in the improv classroom to make sure that they were rooted in improv and then twist them once it was time to um, teach them in the corporate world. So I was, I was testing material out essentially. So it's all rooted in, in foundational improv. It's just structurally very different. Right. And I'm sure there's in a way translating it into the business language so that they understand what you're trying to communicate. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the base of the business. It was the base of the book I wrote. It's all about reaching this specific audience for professional and personal development. Who are you as a leader and who do you lead and how do you lead? Yeah. And so with that said, I'm curious. So, so much of what we talk about on the ship's podcast is about how technology specifically with the rise of smartphones, social media, we're always connected uh, how that impacts our day-to-day -day relationships, whether it be with friends or family or with uh, business associates. And so I'm curious in the work that you do, have you had to address the influx of technology in, uh, in the corporate world, in, in the work that you do? Because there has been a dramatic change in that within the past 20 years. So I'm curious if you address that in any sort of way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, absolutely in okay so technology has changed considerably over the last 20 years absolutely the way that we address it though is almost to not address it meaning specifically we tell everybody to put their phones away turn them off you don't get computers when you work with us it's all about one-on-one -on -one personal communication or small group communication whatever that context of the exercises. However, the point is, it's getting back to the humane aspects of how we communicate and the soft skills, the social skills. And what we found as well, as technology has changed, become ever more prevalent and present in our lives. And with you know children now who don't know what it's like to have a, a phone with a cord at the end of it, and you can't walk around with your phone? When, when did that take place? Or, Computers were the size of a chair. When, when was that? Who, who would want a computer the size of a chair? You know, everything the, with the newer generations, with this being part of their hand and the way that technology has evolved and we've evolved with it, there has been a need and almost a call to action to redevelop social skills because there's a lot of people who are short attention span, switch left, switch right. I don't like this. I don't want to see these commercials. I don't like the show anymore. I'm not going to watch this through. I'm not going to watch this movie through. It's the way that we even date in some capacities. I'll swipe one direction or another direction. That's how easy it is. I think a whole lot of 
work to, to do that, we're training ourselves to be socially challenged. And so there is a, a call to action for many people to go back to one-on-one communication, especially before the grid shuts down and we're forced to do it. You know, when the next apocalypse happens, there's only going to be one way to communicate, and that's not going to be smartphone. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's so true. I think I, I'm a big believer that as technology is continuing to advance, and obviously technology gives us a lot of great things and a lot of convenience, but I'm a big believer that as it's continuing to advance, the teaching of social skills is becoming more and more important. And I really believe that theater and, and applied improv is a great way to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's cyclical, right? What's old is new and new is old. And, and um, I didn't go as far as saying that we've been learning from theater for I don't know, 50 years or so. It's just the way that it's going to be positioned is going to be different for a number of reasons, including the fact that the need is a different need than it was before. Yeah. Yeah. And an ever evolving need as well as mm-hmm. as time goes on. <laughs> Absolutely. So there are many people, you know, kind of going off of this topic, whether it be kids, adults, but especially teenagers who are facing increased issues when it comes to depression and anxiety. And many of those links do point to social media and smartphone use or excessive smartphone use as part of that problem. So in the work that you do with business improvisations, do you see a lot of these kind of issues, whether it be anxiety or depression within the corporate workforce? And have you ever had anyone come to you saying like, okay, this is actually a a prevalent problem within our organization how can business improv help with that? Like, have you ever run into that scenario at all? Maybe to a smaller degree? Well, I, I you know, everything you've just mentioned, I think is um, prevalent everywhere, right? You know, there are chefs who are depressed and there are, I mean, Anthony Bourdain, as successful as he was, was battling yeah. that, right? And that ended in uh, him, him choosing some, something very personal for himself and um, ending his life. I, I don't think that there's a single market anywhere that is safe from things like that. And that certainly does exist in the corporate section. You know, the way that we look at a lot of that, though, is really more environmental. What's that culture? How is the culture creating depression or morale issues or trust issues inside the organization? And when it's not something chemical inside your body, then it's got to be something environmental or circumstantial. And so that's really where we, business improv, get tapped on the shoulder quite often to come in and really look at what's going on inside the organization and why the employees are feeling this way and and, or, and employees feeling this way and unpacking it in such a way that we can set the environment and the attitude, the language up for success so that moving forward, there's a way to help get out of that. Um, Ultimately, though, improvisation, as great as it is across the board, whether it's business improv or theatrical improvisation, any house you're learning from, it can be cathartic, it can be healing. It's not the only thing, though. There's got to be a lot of other pieces to that puzzle to move somebody from a depressive state into a, a happy state. And, you know, there's a whole 
freaking school at it of it now school of positive psychology at Wharton right and there's that's not the only one that there's a lot of a lot of focus on this right now and so it's got to come from a lot of angles I would say though just as an advocate of improvisation it certainly can help some people yeah it's a communication based art form right it's based in it's rooted in two things potentially more than anything that everything kind of comes out of and that's communication and collaboration. If you're, if you're going to collaborate, you have to communicate in some capacity. You don't collaborate with yourself. Right? <laughs> so you're collaborating with somebody else. It means you're communicating with someone. And that often means that you have to be present, you have to be in the moment, you have to use the communication skill set that's inherent in improvisation. It goes on and on and on. So if you look at those two elements and break it down to just who we are as people, we want to collaborate as people. I mean, even the most introverted of us in some capacity finds connection with other people. Otherwise, you're, you're truly a smaller group, and those groups do often live in, like, caves. Like they go up in the mountains, and, like, I'm just going to isolate myself. Or, or even deserts. You know, they don't want any access to anyone. Otherwise, if you have access to people, you're really falling back into basic human needs. And one of the human needs is the desire to be understood. You know, it's a basic human desire to be understood. Believe that somebody understands it, if not even truly be understood. It's the connection to so many things, people, relationships. And that's part of improvisation, that you're really focusing on understanding somebody else. You're focusing on hearing somebody else. And so it's a, it's a very giving thing, and that satisfies the soul. Because you're giving it to other people, and in turn, you're receiving it from other people. And that can help people in a lot of different capacities, including being a part of a growth from a more depressive state to a more happy state. Yeah, I actually think that you just answered my next question, which was going to be, what are the biggest takeaways that maybe a, a non-theater or a non-improv person can take away from improvisation, say someone who isn't pursuing acting or doesn't want to be like a regular improviser on the stage in the performing sense. But would you say that those are really the biggest takeaways that your normal average everyday person can take away from improvisation? Absolutely. They have to be some of them anyway. You know, the ability to connect with other people, communicate with other people, collaborate with other people, the ability to develop awareness and presence in the moment in real time. Absolutely. Anybody can use this in any field, anywhere, including, for the record, parents. Just stay-at-home dad, stay-at-home mom. That's your career. This is good for everybody in every field, anywhere. And frankly... And this is very biased, so I'll, I'll be certain to note you know, <laughs> this part of me. <laughs> the more people the, in the world who do improvisation in any capacity, the better the world is going to be. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's it's absolutely true. And it's re really, even if it's just like taking a class and just using those skill sets and then exercising them regularly in your life in other ways, whether it be in business or some other industry, I think there could be immense value in that. Absolutely. With all that said, so much of you know what we were talking about in our conversation and what you have brought up is 
this idea of communication and collaboration and the importance of that. And I'm a big believer that it's communication and collaboration that's needed to create genuine, meaningful relationships, mm -hmm. which is something that we talk about a lot on this podcast. So given your wealth of experience, what would you say is your definition of a genuine human relationship? The definition of a genuine human relationship. Well, I, I guess I'll just dust off what I said to you before, which is to, um, it's a basic human desire to be understood or at least believe that somebody understands you. And this is something that Martin Amat, who created the Second City Training Center and was the person who first taught me improvisation um, and my mentor instilled in me. And I, I think that's it. Right, that people get us, we get other people, and that's that's kind of the core of of the, the relationships. And communication has to be part of that. And you know, sometimes it's the ability not to communicate verbally. You just you could just stand next to somebody and feel that presence, feel that that connection, and that's that's as important. Right. Absolutely. Just being in the moment with the people who are around you. Yeah, being connected with them, you know, and understanding that, you know, sometimes you say a lot by saying nothing, and, and there's power in that. Yeah. Well, Bob, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. Re really enjoyed talking with you, and I I think that our audience is going to take a lot of key points away from this conversation that hopefully they'll be able to implement in their own lives and. Really thank you for all the work that you're doing with business improvisations and, and really spreading the, the great news about improvisation and what it can do for companies, for organizations, or for families even. And so I, I just, I really appreciate it. Pat, thanks so much for having me. It's been great chatting with you. Yeah, now before we sign off, is there a, a specific platform or, or website that our listeners could find out more information about you or Business Improv? Yes. Go to businessimprov.com or go to bobcullhan.com if you want to you know, see if I'm still a comedian. <laughs> um, <laughs> otherwise, uh, buy, buy the book. Go to the book, Getting to Yes and the Art yes. of Business Improv. It's a great book. Um, Highly recommend it. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Follow us on, on Twitter and Facebook at Biz Improv or find us on LinkedIn, 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 LinkedIn. Great. Great. So there's a lot, a lot of opportunities, a lot of places to, to check out you and your work. Absolutely. Great. Yes. And I'm still producing it. All those social media platforms, especially LinkedIn, on both the personal and the business site, we are churning out material. So if you just want a free version of what we do, at least our perspective of this wonderful art as it makes the business, check us out. Great. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the show, Bob. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Pat. Great talking with you. you have it everyone bob colhan ceo of business improv really hope you enjoyed this episode and are able to take some of the tidbits of information he shared with us all and implement them into your own lives into your own businesses or your own communities so thank you bob for joining us on this podcast episode if you liked this episode, please feel free to share it with your friends, leave a comment, a review, subscribe, 
or if you have the Anchor app, please feel free to give me a call and let me know your thoughts. And this voicemail that you leave could have the opportunity to be published in a future episode. So feel free to call in. You also have the opportunity to support this podcast. Supporting this podcast will allow me to continue producing amazing episodes with inspiring guests. Also, if you have a guest that you would really love to see on the podcast, feel free to call in and I will do what I can to get them on the show. So thank you so much for joining us today. I'll catch you all in the next episode.